Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It's where we're going to be as we continue on in our study of this letter. Uh, as you turn there, uh, hopefully everybody was able to stop by and grab uh, the elements for the Lord's Supper. Uh, if you did not, at the end of our message, uh, we'll be taking the Lord's Supper together as a church family. And so if you're a believer, follower of Jesus Christ, whether you're a member of this church or not, we'd like to give you that opportunity to do that with us. And if you did not grab one, there right back over here behind our camera area. Pastor Dave is back there. We, the, no one will judge you if you want to get up and go ahead and grab one, but would love for you to have that. Uh, it, it's been a, a practice uh, that we've uh, put into place for us uh, the first Sunday of every month to, to obey what God's called us to do in, in partaking of the Lord's Supper together. And so our practice is we do that once a month. If you're joining us at home, uh, you know, grab what you can from your house and we will encourage you to take this with us as well. Well, it's been an interesting journey in 1 Corinthians. I hope you're enjoying your quiet time of reading through this together. I hope you're enjoying working through this with your small group. And I know that I'm enjoying preparing as we go through this. Now, what we're going to, what we're working toward, and, and I believe, yep, next week, we're going to kind of get to some of these really practical examples of this church that is, that is really kind of crumbling uh, within itself of some of the sinful practice that are beginning to take root. But what we've been looking at over these first four chapters chapters or is Paul as he deals with some of the divisions that are in the church. And so week, uh, actually uh, uh, week one, when we were at home for the ice storm that didn't really happen, right? Um, we we kind of gave the background information. And then the next week we came in, gathered together, we talked through chapter one. And then last week we talked about chapter two. Now I didn't really get to go into chapter three. So just kind of really quickly, I want to hit some high points because we need to understand where Paul is going as we get into chapter chapter 4 this morning. Now, the whole time what we've been seeing is that Paul is, is dealing with, from the very beginning, the divisions that were in the church. And these divisions were over church leadership of, of different ones saying, no, I follow Paul. Some saying, I follow Cephas, who is Peter. Others saying, I follow Apollos. And so we're, we're, we're navigating through as Paul's breaking that down. He says, no, 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 we're following Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ is not the gospel of Paul. It's the crucifixion of Christ. It's the baptism of Christ in Christ's name. And these are all things that we are pointing them to. And so Paul's breaking down this, this, this church division by saying, no, 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 it's not about following man. It's about following Christ. And then in chapter 3, what, what we missed, and, and I'm not going to do it justice, and if you haven't, please spend some time reading in this, but, but Paul shifts the conversation a, a little bit away from, from the overall church body uh, of dealing with the issues in the church body, and he begins to explain biblical church leadership. 
of, of what church leadership is there to do and what church leadership is there to build on. And, and, and this is what we've continued on in, in, in working in our church and in every Bible-believing, uh, Bible-following, Christ-believing church. And he says, first and foremost, that church leadership is there to do the work of God. Like, that's what we're here for. That's why we exist That's what we pray for. That's what we long for. That is, church leaders, we're not here to do our work. We're not here to do your work. We're here to do God's work. But that it's a continual process. And it's a continual thing that continues to grow and to function. And so church leadership is building toward the future. All right? And we see some healthy evidence of that even in the context of who we are. I don't know if you know the history of, of our church, uh, of Willow Ridge Church, but Willow Ridge Church was planted in 1979 out of Red Bank Baptist Church right down the road. And what I love about that and what has continued on in the culture and DNA, and, and, and yeah, maybe, maybe people aren't supposed to do this, but they are supposed to do this, right? Let's talk really well about the church right down the road. They've got a DNA built in and of themselves that says it's important that the gospel spreads, that the kingdom spreads, and not just the kingdom of Red Bank Baptist. And so what Red Bank Baptist did in 1979 and continues to do today is they pressed toward making sure the gospel's growing. And so they decided to do that in 1979 by planning Agape Baptist Church that would later on become Willow Ridge Church. And they planted them right down the road, right? And they said, this is what's important. And what we've seen from 1979 until today is the continuation of church leadership building toward the future. And so it's not just for, for, for us, for, for, for tomorrow. It's not just for us until next week. It's not just for us a, a, until the next pastor comes and then, it's, and then it's a reset. No, no, no. It's continuing on building toward the future, but most importantly, with the foundation being Christ. And that everything is done that is done in his name and for his glory. But what we see in this and what we love and what we celebrate within our family and and within the congregation of the church is that we build through people through generations. And so I like to think of it like like this, whether you're looking at your your church family or or you're looking at your, your own family. Like, I come from a generation, uh, generations, I'm sorry, of believers. Now, that didn't earn me the right to be saved, okay? So my, my salvation is not passed down from my grandfather to my dad to me, right? But, but my faith has been exhibited, has been modeled, and has been lived out for me. And so when I celebrate all that God is doing, I celebrate the generations of believers in my family that God has blessed me with. But it also reminds me of the incredible work that God is doing. And some of you in here today fall into this category where you are the first generation believer in your family. Like you didn't, mom and dad didn't follow Christ. Grandma and grandpa didn't follow Christ. But yet you choose to follow Jesus and are saved by him, that transforming work that is there. And so you continue to build on that. And that's what we celebrate and what we see. So, so now as we look at chapter 4, which we're going to focus on this morning, Paul is going to, going to focus in on, in fact, if, you're, if your Bible is like mine, it probably has some of these titles that were added later on, were not originally there, but mine says, the ministry of the apostles. And so what Paul's going to, going to do in chapter 4 is say, here's what we are here to do, but also more importantly, here's who we are to be. 
And what I want to look at this morning and, and talk about is characteristics of church leadership. But, but here's the deal. While the context here is church leaders, so like, church, run this through the filter of us as your leaders of who we are, of what we're doing, of what we're about. Does the, do you believe this to be who we are and who we claim to be and how we live our life? But, but, but also, the application that I hope it hits for, for all of us is that we can take these truths and, and apply them to any area of our life in which God has called us, equipped us, and positioned us to lead, right? So we're going to take these and we're going to apply these to, to, the, to your business world, to your career path. We're going to take these and apply these to your family context in which God has placed you and in the community which you find yourself living in, right? Because like, as a believer, there's not the church identity that we put on when we come into these doors and say, this is who I am in Christ here. But in all of these, we live for his name and to model these things wherever God calls us and wherever God sends us because all of these should reflect a life surrendered to Christ. So this isn't just like, hey, well, here's what I hold my small group leader to, my pastor to, my elders to. No, no, no. Here's what God is saying that as leaders, that this is what God has called us to. And as those who have surrendered to Christ, this is what we're going to model in our life. So whether you're a nurse, whether you're a dad, whether you run the HOA in your neighborhood, which pray for you because I know that's difficult, right? This is the standard that God calls you to as a believer. We don't get to say, no, no, the business world's different. We don't get to say, no, 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 school's different. We don't get to say, no, 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 my, my home is, is different. My neighborhood is different. No, 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 God's called us to believers and live out his faithfulness with where we are. So let's start reading 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Paul says, this is how one should regard us. Talking about leadership here. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. All right, so a couple things that we want to look at from these two verses. Number one of what Paul points us to as leaders, who we are to be, is faithful servants. Faithful servants. Right? Paul defines his, his primary uh, a servant here as, as being a servant to Christ. Yes, there is a call to serve one another. Like we can't uh, eliminate that from scripture continually over and over again. We are called to, we are challenged to serve one another in the body. So we serve each of us in the context of our church family of who we are. And we are called to serve out of here to others who are part of the other church's bodies, to those who are not part, to those who are lost. We are called to serve. But, but Paul says here that the primary servant of who we serve from is that we are servants of Christ. And this is the primary expectation for our life. So, so why does this matter? Why do we understand that most importantly, that our service is aligned with him and him alone? Uh, a couple things that I'm able to, to draw from this. Uh, number one is, is then when I serve you out of understanding that primarily I'm a servant of Christ, then I'm no longer serving you out of selfish motivation. I'm no longer serving you because of what you can bring, what you can give, or how you can benefit me. Right? It's what matters because I'm not serving you. You aren't my object. You aren't my focus. Christ is. And so I'm not serving you out of selfish motivation. But then also within this, I can now serve those who seek to do me harm. I can now serve those who seek to persecute me. 
or let's maybe talk a little bit more of our sinful tendencies in life, I can now serve those that I just don't like, all right? If we're called to go out and serve the world, we would admit there are those that are easy to serve, and we would also admit that there are those difficult to serve. But if our service is not aimed at them, if our service is aimed at Christ, then we can serve them. So you are not the bullseye for me. My wife is not the bullseye for me. My kids are not the bullseye for me. My neighbors aren't the bullseye for me. No, 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 no. Christ is. And so I serve you out of my love and out of my obedience to him. So it does not matter the positives or negatives of which you bring because you are not my object of service, but that Christ is. And that's the serving that we call to. So I want to begin by asking you this. How are you doing in serving? As leaders, what does that look like? Are you ser- how are you serving your family? How are you serving at work? How are you serving in the community in which God has placed you, right? In your neighborhood, at your ball teams, that you dance to, because where God has, like, how are you serving within this? Are we receiving or are we serving? And then the, the next thing that, that, that Paul talks about in, in these verses is he calls us not only to be a faithful servant, but he calls us also to be a faithful steward. Right? Now, again, when we talk about stewardship, oftentimes we think about something else when we talk about money, right? How to be obedient, how to be responsible with the financial matters that God has entrusted you with. How are you a good steward of those? And, and that is biblically true. Like that's what we are to do. We are to take the money that God gives us, that God blesses us with, and we are to be a steward of that. We're not to just be a saver. We're not just to be a spender. We're not just to be a giver. But in all of those, we look at this and say, God, this is what you blessed me. How am I a steward of this? But Paul here is talking about a different type of stewardship. Right? He's talking about one that is going to specifically point to the eternal matters which are at hand. And he says, as leaders, that we are stewards of the mercies of God. The, I'm sorry, the mysteries of God. And he's talking about what we looked at last week with the gospel. So how are you being a steward of the gospel? How are you looking as what God has given you, what God has granted you, to be a steward of that with where God has placed you? One of the things I heard a guy talk about one time that I really loved and that clung to me and and this visual stuck to me is he said, regardless of who you are, regardless if you're the boss or the employee, regardless if you're the wealthiest or the poorest, regardless of if you're the oldest or the youngest, where God has placed you is around you is a circle of influence. That every time, every day, every moment in your life, there's opportunities that God has given you to influence those around you. And they talk about this is the true aspect of leadership, that in this, how are you leading people in your circle of influence? And so church, I want to ask you, how are you doing in your circle of influence with the gospel that you've been entrusted with? What does that look like in your life? Are you working to have gospel conversations, seeking to serve so that the moment opens up, and then when God graciously opens the door to have those conversations, are you taking them? Are you taking them so that you can share? Are you taking them so that you can uh, lead people, draw people to the beautiful gospel that God has entrusted you with, right? This is what he has for us, and this is what we are to do. And I love that in both of these, in both being a servant and in being a steward, the challenge isn't to simply be those. 
But there was a word that I added to each one of those that we pulled from for scripture, and it says that we are to be faithful in both, right? And so I thought, what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be faithful to your spouse? What does it mean to be faithful to your employer? What does it mean to be faithful to God? That it's not simply something that we do, but it's who we are. That what we are seeking is not to have actions of being a servant, of actions of being a steward, but that through the power of the gospel, it's simply who we are, right? I don't have to be reminded that I need to be faithful to my wife because I know because it's who I am because of what God is doing in me, right? And that's what, what Paul is reminding that in these that we are found faithful. It's not necessarily just what we do, but it's who you are consistently. And there's an important reason for this. Let's look at verse three. Paul says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not therefore uh, thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. There's so much in this. But as I look at leadership, one of the things that I want us to all be acknowledge and see within us is that we are accountable. We are accountable. As leaders, every single one of us is accountable. So let's look in areas inside the church. I'll look at myself and then outside the church, right? In business, in your employment, you're, in, you're, you're accountable to those who employ you, right? Now, here's where it is for me. I'm accountable to you. I'm accountable to our elders. I'm accountable to the lay leadership and to the congregation of the body of Christ. I got, like, let's, let's say that I am accountable to, to, to them and to you, right? The, the second, in, in your family, right? You're accountable to those in your family. Kids, you're accountable to your parents. Parents, you're accountable to your kids. Spouses, you're accountable to each other. I'm accountable to my wife. I'm accountable to my kids, and they are accountable to me. In my community, I'm accountable to the people of Lexington as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ to be the neighbor that God has called me to be, to live in grace and truth and to seek to live in harmony with all. That's the accountability that God has placed me in and that's the accountability that I have. But what Paul is, is talking about here, again, is, is, is like in the, in the mindset of, of serving. Ultimately though, I and you, before my wife, before you, before my kids, before my community, before everyone else, ultimately and supremely, I am accountable to God. This is who I answer to, and this is who I will ultimately answer to. Look at midway through verse five. Paul says, God will, will bring to life the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God, right? I, I wanna ask you this. This has been the question that has hit me the hardest this week. 
Are you ready to give an account for how you lead in the circles of influence in the areas that God has entrusted you with? In your work, in your home, in your church, in your family, in your community. Are we open to the fact that we are accountable to God, right? When, when, when we look at the, the parable of the talents that, that Jesus shares, so there's, there, there's, and he gives some talents, and, and some go, and they grow them, and one goes and buries them. And, and, and the point as we navigate through the, this parable is as Jesus comes back, the, the master comes back, and says, what did you do with these? I, I entrusted you with this. What did you do with this? What did you do with the gospel? As, as stewards of the gospel in your business, what is your end goal? As stewards of the gospel in your family, what is your end goal? As stewards of the gospel in your community, what is your end goal? If your goal is to grow your business so that you can retire wealthy and comfortable and fat, right? Then we're missing it. If the goal of my family is to raise athletes and scholars, ultimately, then we're missing it. If the goal of my community is just so that everyone will like me, or maybe on the other side, right, for some of us, that no one will like me, right, then we're missing it. As stewards of the gospel in business, in my family, I'm going to tell you, I want my kids to thrive and to succeed in so many areas. I'm having a hard time this weekend. They turned 14, which just makes me realize they're even closer to being 18 and being out of the house, and that's going to be a bad day, and I'm going to take a lot of time off for that, right? <laughs> Still praying through a homeschool model for college, right? But right. I want them to thrive, and I want them to succeed. Don't miss me on that. But more importantly, who I want them to be is who they are in Christ in impacting lives for the sake of the gospel beyond anything else. Beyond anything else. Does the goal of your business, does the goal of your career have a centeredness around the gospel? Does the goal where you live and the goal of your community, does it have a centeredness for the gospel? Because we will be accountable for these. Another trait, let's keep reading verse 7, a characteristic of leadership. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And with that, uh, you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed, buffeted, and homeless. And we labor without working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. As leaders, we're called to be humble. Now, I could talk a lot about humility 
in areas where, where God has grown me, needs to grow me, in areas that God points out to all of us very evidently and very clearly in Scripture that we haven't arrived. And I, and I feel like that's what we've done a lot over the last several weeks. But I just want to kind of hit one high point, especially concerning the gospel here. I want you to look back at verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What did you do that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? I want to paint this picture for you if I can. My grandfather, who, who many of you know, I, I talk about him often. He, he passed away uh, years ago right before Aaron and I got married. He served in the Army. Served during World War II, was, was, was a, a part of a lot of uh, different his, historical, uh, well-known battles. And, and in his, before he died, he actually gave to me a lot of the things that he had been able to keep and been able to, to salvage from his military career. He's got pictures, got some, got some weapons, got different things from his uniform. And one of the things that, that he gave to me that I hold very dear to my heart are, are the bars from his uniform. Got them in a, in a storage area in my closet where they'll be kept safe and, and the way I lose things all the time, honestly, not be lost, right? It's what he entrusted to me. It's what he gave to me. Now, let's say there's a 4th of July celebration this summer. And I decide I'm going to put those on my shirt. I'm going to go out. I'm going to wear those. That wouldn't be right, would it? That's not what I've been called to do. That's not what I've been trusted with. Why? Because I didn't earn them. I wasn't the one on the battlefield. I wasn't the one that was paying the price. But instead, I've been entrusted by the one who did that to hold on to those. And that when I see those, when I'm reminded of those, to share the story of not only him, but so many different men and women who made the sacrifices that they made so that you and I could experience the life that we experience here. But if I were to talk about them, like they were mine, that would be a... Why? Because I didn't earn them. And Paul says this. Why do you, as a person who received the gospel, treat it as if it's something that you did not receive, as if something that you earned? It's our humility that even our standing of what we find in Christ is that this is what he did, and this is why we live in the way that we live for the glory of his name. We've been entrusted with something to share, to reflect, to show, and to point people not to us, but to someone else. And the ultimate sign of humility. And then lastly, let's finish reading out the chapter, starting in verse 14. Paul says this. I love these verses. Now, Paul's going to really lay the smack down on the rest of these, all right, these chapters. And here's how you start this off. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless gods in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. I urge you then, 
Be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in the spirit of gentleness? When we look at this passage of scripture, what is commonly referred to and what we oftentimes see is this element of church discipline. That here's what Paul is coming to do as there's this church that's gone off the rails. That there's this church that's missing it. And that the rest of what we're going to see here are these punishments that are being leveraged from Paul to them because of how bad they are and how wrong they're doing things. And I don't believe at all that's the goal of what we're to see here. I think his leadership is what Paul pours into of what we're going to see in, in these eight verses right here is that Paul is pointing to leadership being disciple makers. And that's the goal of what we are to do. When, when Jesus entrusted us with the Great Commission, he calls us to go and make disciples. That's what we're to do. We are to go and to make disciples. And what we see from here is if we're going to be a leader in the sake of the gospel, if we're going to be a leader in seeking to make people uh, follow Christ in our work, in our home, in our communities, that there's some evidence of what we need to, be able to see from ourselves as the Great Commission calls us to this. The, the first thing that we're to be, that we are to see in our lives, is what we're going to call a spiritual parent. In order to be a disciple maker, we must be a spiritual parent. Look at verse 14 and 15. I do not write these things to make you ashamed. Let's pause for a second. Parents, in your love for your child, do you ever seek shame in their life? No. No. It destroys, it breaks down, it'll ruin them. Shame is the opposite of the gospel. Shame is what Christ came to work against. Shame is what the devil uses to bring us down. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children, right? Paul says there's going to be some correction that takes place. For though you have countless gods in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. And so what Paul's saying is that we don't need more gods. You've got gods. I would argue if the church at Corinth had gods, you and I have way more gods than they have, right? Thank you, podcast, bookstores, right? Facebook, like everything else. It ain't hard for you and I to go and to seek out gods that are going to point us but not go on the journey with us. And Paul says, but that's who we are. We're not called as disciple makers to simply be those that speak truth and say, go figure it out. We've got those. But we don't have many 
fathers. And so if you're here and you're a leader, I want to ask you a question. Are you a God or are you a parent? Are you a God or are you a parent? Now, yeah, there's going to become a point in time a lot sooner than I'm probably want it to be or, or, or comfortable to be. Even in some areas that I'm already seeing in my life with my kids where there's those moments of, all right, it, it's time to go. It's time to grow those wings. It's time to lead out. It's time, this is what God needs you to do, right? But at no point in time am I not here with you. Maybe not physically, but there's not a point in time that I'm not with you in my prayers, in my minds, in my heart, and that I'm always available for you. And that's what it means to be a spiritual parent. I want to ask you, church, in your life, here in our context, in your home, in your job, in your community, who are you looking to not be a guide to, to simply be a person that points out and says do better, but who are you looking to come alongside? Don't be a guide, be a parent. Uh, the, the second thing is, is be an example. Look at verse 16 and 17. I urge you, then be imitators of me. Pause for a second. This is not the arrogance of Paul that says this, but this is the confidence of Paul in Christ. All right? Verse 17. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So Paul says it's important to be an example. Parents, look at your kids and be able to say, can you say, you want to know what it looks like to follow the Lord? Look at me. Look at your mom. Look at us. Be imitators of us. At work, can you look at those around you in the meetings when, 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 when this, the, the sense of anger, of stress begins to rise, and you say, no, 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 that's going to be different. Be imitators of Christ. Watch how I imitate him in this. This is what Paul brings us to, that you and I are living examples. And what Paul is pointing to here, he says, I'm, be imitators of me because that's why I sent you Timothy. Timothy. We were having our staff Bible study with this this past week, and, and I asked one of our staff members, uh, uh, Joel. So I'll, I'll tell you this, like Joel Van Ham knows how to fix way more things than I do, right? More mechanically inclined, can build things, do all those things. And, and Joel is, is doing a wonderful job with, within that of pouring these things into his son, Jacob, all right? And so he's, he's teaching, he's modeling, this is what he's doing in his life. And, and I asked Joel, I was like, if I wanted to learn this from you, who would I ask for, for, for you? to be taught, would I ask you or would I ask Jacob? And, and he sat there and he had an honest assessment of the situation. He goes, no, 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 it would be me. And that's what so many of us would do, right? I know how to do this, come to me. But Paul says, when we're, when we're this example of who God has called us to be, that I've invested so much into my spiritual son in the faith, Timothy, that that's why I sent him to you. When we go back and we look at the generations of faith that are built, it's because of the poured in, the replication of a spiritual parent, the reproduction of new believers in Christ. 
so that our examples don't end with us, but our examples continue on and continue on and continue on. And then lastly, as a disciple maker, we're a corrector. We're a corrector. Verse 18, some are arrogant as though how we're not coming to you. Paul's like, oh, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm coming on my way. Like, we're going to find out all of this for myself. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with a spirit of love and gentleness? And so Paul gives them the challenge to change. Paul gives them the challenge to change. And he says that in this, as this spiritual parent, in this, as this example that I'm coming. It, it hit me this week. When we talk about disciplining a behavior, right? So someone does something wrong, our kids do something wrong, our employee does something wrong, our, our peer does something wrong, someone in our life that, that, that uh, discipline is appropriate. Why do we do that? Why do we do it? Well, what we see in, in Scripture and in the context is we don't discipline to punish. We discipline to correct. And this is what Paul's seeking. That I seek to discipline you. I seek to bring this to you because here's what God wants from you. Right? I had a pastor say this one time and it just stuck with me and embedded into my heart. He says, when I see my kids and my wife and my church people sin, it hurts my heart, not because I'm mad, but because they've chosen the lesser thing instead of the greater thing of God. They've chosen the lesser thing and not the correct thing for the Lord. And so Paul says, as we're going to go through this, and as you're going to see all of these different things that are here, it, it, it's not that I want to punish you, Paul says. It's that I want to correct you so that you see the life that God has called you to. As we go over these next several weeks and we continue to navigate through these chapters in 1 Corinthians, I want to be honest with you. There's going to see like time and time again the areas that are foreign from where we are in our world with what we're doing. But it, the truth of the matter, it reigns true into who we are. And are we taking these and applying these in our circles of influence where God has called you to? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this time that we could be here together to be into your word. Lord, I thank you for the wonderful opportunity that you give us to study your word. Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes and our hearts to the different areas of the circles that you have provided us. Lord, we could live for your glory and for your name in a way that points people to you and shares the hope of the gospel with them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the things that we want to continue to remind ourselves of 
is not only the price that Christ paid for us, but the life that he calls us to. And so if you want to go ahead and take the elements of the Lord's Supper that we have, We're just going to pause for a few moments before we continue in worship, before we respond in any way, and show our gratitude and our thankfulness and humility before him. We did not earn our salvation, but we were gifted it, and we receive it with joy and with thanksgiving. And so if you take your bread, the bread that represents the body of Christ, who paid the price that you and I deserved, who died the death that you and I deserved, and he did it for us. Scripture says that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Jesus would take the cup, the cup that would represent his blood, the blood that was spilled so that you and I would be washed clean, made right to stand before God. And he says, in the same way, he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the price that you paid so that we may be made right before God. Lord, would we live in the expectation that you have for us to be a faithful servant of you and a faithful steward of the gospel? Lord, may we live our life knowing that we are accountable to you ultimately and to approach this world, those around us, and you and the grace and humility that we understand of who we are. It is not through our own works that we're made right, but it's through your work on the cross that you made us right. And we rest in that. And Lord, would we live in the boldness of being a disciple maker, and what that means. Not seeking just to God, but, Lord, seeking to be the parent that walks alongside, correcting, being the example, living for your name so that we can see the reproduction of the power of the gospel in the lives of so many. Lord, we thank you for the joy to serve you and to worship you. Lord, as we respond in worship, that it would be done out of a life surrendered to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's prayer encouragers on either side of our auditorium this morning. 
you came in here with a burden, needing someone to pray with you, they would love to, to pray with you. If you came in here this morning and want to talk to someone about a relationship with Christ, they'd love to talk to you about that. We just ask that you simply respond to God as he leads you this morning. Would you stand as we worship him? Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.